my friends, the great experiment. Strange new world. Head trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick, trick. The greatest trick, trick. Welcome to Greatest Trick. A new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. <laughs> I'm Adam Prenica. I'm Ben Harrison. <laughs> did I introduce the wrong episode of Greatest Trek? <laughs> that would be great if I did the musical opening <laughs> to the Shroud of War episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would have really slapped. That would have gone over great. Yeah, I was... Uh thinking about trying to write like a rent parody or like a how does a star trek podcast lost in some forgotten <laughs> corner of the internet <laughs> i did not get around to it yeah yeah this one was a surprise schedule wise too just like the last so yeah we were unable to give this a full musical theatrical production you know we would have come with the fucking heat if we'd had a few weeks to work on it you know that adam ragusia would have like been held at gunpoint until he wrote us an entire libretto you know what i would ask adam ragusia how that would have gone but he's gagged in my basement right now he's a little far away he's only brought out for special assignments like that notes for the plaintiff ragusia is tied up in a brooklyn basement <laughs> Well, you know, we can do some lyrics here. Mm-hmm. We'll figure some out. Yeah, you're great at this. You're great at this. I'm not. I would have needed weeks to write this. Oh, you little so-and-so. And I'm really interested in, after the fact, knowing more about how this production worked. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a very unique challenge. Like, there are several cast members with great voices and musical theater experience and others without. <laughs> and I want to watch those interviews, yeah. especially of those without. I feel like they really did Babs Olson McCoon a solid <laughs> by kind of yeah, totally. limiting his role in the whole proceedings. Yeah. And also giving him an out, like his character doesn't sing. Right. I would prefer not to be a bunny either. I doubt we will be bunnies. And on top of that, when he did have to sing, gave him a big assist in the auto-tune department. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, this is a season full of episodes that I want to watch the behind-the-scenes feature at after the strike is over. Correct. Yeah. Yep. After the AMPTP stops fucking around and stops trying to fuck the workers over. Yeah. We've taken a side, and it's the right side, with the striking side. Adam, what's your relationship with the form of art known as musical theater? Have you uh, enjoyed musical theater in person? Have you gone to the Great White Way in New York and taken in plays and, and seen the shows? Do you, do you listen to original cast recordings on album? I think like a lot of things... I was positive I wouldn't like it until I experimented in college. <laughs> and so, and so, yeah, like, I actually did a bit of musical theater adjacent experimentation in college and uh -huh. found that I didn't actually care for it. Yeah. <laughs> By which I mean to say, I kissed a boy to see if I 
would enjoy or not. <laughs> sure. There's a Katy Perry song all about that. Yeah, yeah. My first exposure to like actually going to the Capital T Theater was, I think, shared by a lot of folks of my specific interests. Like, I think Book of Mormon was the first musical theater big experience show that I ever went to. Wow. And I fucking loved it. <laughs> and I was like, is this what I've been missing? Because this is fun and funny and good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't go back to the musical theater until <laughs> Hamilton, <laughs> so it didn't exactly stick. But then I saw Hamilton, and I was like, oh, this is awesome and amazing and good. Maybe it'll stick. Didn't stick. Yeah. But that's not to say that I don't like it. I think I'm just here for the blockbusters, maybe. I think that's my mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my position on the whole thing. What about you? I do really enjoy musicals. I've seen a lot of them. I grew up going to see lots of theater with my family. My my parents always, you know, I, I'd say, you know, maybe four times a year we went into San Francisco and saw stuff at either ACT or touring Broadway shows. And so, like, I saw, you know, The Lion King and Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that throughout my childhood. And then when I lived in New York, I saw tons of theater. I probably saw 10 or 15 plays a year and... Sometimes those are musicals. God, that's great. Proximity matters, right? Yeah. And I think that like that's kind of one of the weird things about LA is like there's a lot of theater in LA, but I think that like the the quality and character of the theater are really different in LA and New York. Like there's tons of actors here, so it makes sense that there would be theater, but I wouldn't consider it a great theater city the way New York is like New York, London, maybe Dublin are like where the English language theater is strongest. And New York and London are kind of the only two cities where like big musical shows like this go to try and get their start. Like, or I guess sometimes they start in like regional or off Broadway context and then go, go to the bigs if they're popular enough. I know that like Hamilton didn't start on Broadway, right? Sure. Yeah. But like I have to say, like despite all of that, when I hear there's going to be a musical episode of one of my favorite television shows, it's never something I meet with optimism or <laughs> enthusiasm. Like I'm never like, ah, I can't wait to hear my favorite non-singer actors try and do an entire hour of song. Right. And I would say as we begin our review of this episode, I was also a little apprehensive for the genre-breaking aspect to it. Yeah. But let's get on into it, Ben. I think we've got a lot to cover here. Yeah, and before we get too much further into it, anything we say, like Babs Elisan Makun, they did him favors. They would have needed to do us 10 times the number of favors if this was us in this episode. Like, I'm not, I just, I want to make sure that we're saying, like, we're not here to be music critics and we're not here to drag someone for, like, having... Not a great singing voice or anything like that, because... You heard it here. Ben believes a performer is deserving of special favors (laughs) in order to do a thing they're uncomfortable with. Uh Uh-huh. There it is. (laughs) That's just my take on the matter. Yeah. No, but I I guess what I'm saying is, like, if you signed up to be on the pilot of Strange New Worlds, this may have come as a curveball to you as a performer. Yeah, check your contract. Yeah, so uh, 
I'm not saying the singing and, and dancing is bad. I just don't want to like dick on it when people aren't don't specialize in it, you know? I think you're arguing against yourself, man. No one's saying that. Okay. I'm it's just, gonna be fine. I'm very sensitive today. <laughs> this is gonna be a great episode of Greatest Track coming up as we discuss Strange New World Season 2, Episode 9. Subspace. Rhapsody. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Self-discovery. Unknown. And we open on another Uhura log where she is describing a naturally occurring subspace world that is gobbling up so much computing power for Spock that she has been field demoted to kind of an old-timey switchboard operator on the yeah. bridge. It really feels like they took it right up to the like point of thinking, like, should we have her like unplugging and replugging jumper cables in this scene? <laughs> Here's what's obvious. Great hardship for Uhura to do this work. You see this scene and it's like this great combination of quick cuts and quick requests and the music and it's totally panic inducing. But what I want to say is this. If you're anyone else working on that bridge, you are in hell, <laughs> right? <laughs> you are doing nothing but listening to a one-sided phone conversation in an airport all day, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like the uh, the lady in office space that's just fielding calls all day. Yeah. Just a moment. That is the person that Uhura am become. Just a moment. Hey, this reminded me of something. I was just on a Delta flight, and the flight attendant came on before we pushed back and was like, hey, <laughs> all the stuff we've heard before is what they say, and then they end the speech with, if you've got a mobile device playing a thing... You are required to play that through a headset. If you're going to be on this flight, everything is on silent. Wow. And if yeah. you're playing anything, it's going into your ears. Hell yeah. That was the first time I'd ever heard that before. And inside I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, finally. And then I fly out. Everything's cool. Everything's quiet. Everything's respectful. On my way back to LA, absolute mayhem. Why? The flight attendant didn't make that kind of announcement. Wow. Something has changed. I think shit is bad out there right now. Yeah, no kidding. With respect to stuff being played on a device. Dang. Well, I've definitely done that. Like, I think that the acoustics of an airplane are a little tricky. Like, sometimes I'll, like, have my headphones in and I'll be like, is it really quiet? Or, like, you know, am I, like, playing this off the speaker and I can't quite tell for a few moments? But I'm, like, worried about it, so I figure it out, you know? Anyone can forgive an accident. What I'll never forgive is the recliner in front of me playing something out of their phone at top volume while also watching their seatback TV. That's just human fucking garbage right there. Yeah. You are garbage made flesh. One of the many, many phone calls that Uhura has patched through is a Pike to Captain Battelle FaceTime where they are planning a vacay. And it seems like Battelle is sort of in the driver's seat on the details of this vacay and uh, has come up with a plan that doesn't necessarily turn Pike's crank. It should surprise no one that I found this to be the most dangerous conversation you can have with a partner. <laughs> I get the sense that you and yours approach this a little more sensibly, but... Watching Pike successfully navigate the put this conversation off for a bit 
Uh-huh. And Captain Battelle doing the whatever you want at the end to really smash his nuts at the end of the FaceTime. <laughs> I absolutely saw myself in that. Uh-huh. Because uh, Captain, what Captain Battelle wants to do is go to a music festival where they'll be camping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're at vacation heads here. Mm-hmm. Unclear how it's going to be resolved. And uh, the forgiveness dimple... Has not been on display yet. Yeah. Smash cut to the transporter room where JT Kirk is getting ready to beam aboard. And Una and La'an are there to receive him. And uh, boy, Una is just all over what La'an is going through. She has noticed that La'an is a little hot under the collar in anticipation of this new guest coming aboard. Something really special happens with Christina Chung's performance here, right? Her La'an is ordinarily so buttoned up, so laced up. Yeah. Her braid so fucking tight. <laughs> like a total fucking coiled spring in any scene. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that Christina Chang is, in fact, 78 years old. And that yeah. braid is so tight that <laughs> she looks like she's in her mid-20s. And yet in this scene, like, she has all of that and also... Crushable vibes yeah. emanating from her. It's making me sweat. <laughs> it's amazing this trick she does. Yeah. And how about Uno like ramming the sliders of the transporter in the way that she does? I don't think we've ever seen like the way you hang up a phone when you're upset. That's how she slides those transporter sliders. Yeah, like ripping off a band-aid or uh similar. Like I'm not gonna let you like ease into this lawn. You're gonna have to confront whatever is flooding your basement right now. I wonder if you can feel it if the sliders go a different speed, the way that like some drops in a roller coaster are more <laughs> severe than others. Like, do you really feel it in the guts? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that guy operates a mean transporter. Yeah. No, not Chief Kyle. He's so mean. So when Kirk appears, uh, it's clear that he's there to do some sort of job shadowing that Una is facilitating because Una at one time did the same thing with Pike and that really helped her career. And it also helped her out of prison. <laughs> so that might come in handy for Kirk, too. It made all the difference. Right. So he's going to learn the ropes of being a first officer from the best in the biz. Yeah. And uh, that does sort of present a bit of a quandary romantically for La'an, who sort of like wants to be around Kirk, but also doesn't want to be around him at all because she's like super drawn to him, but also has this weird like, I can't tell him the secret of why of why and how I'm drawn to him. Hey, Ben, you know how, how Una has that poster that goes uh, ad astra per aspra? Uh-huh. Do you think Kirk's poster would be dad ass, though? <laughs> <laughs> Is the other version better? Dad aspera, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That one's better, right? That guy does have a... Uh... A nice booty on him. Yeah. Yeah. One of his many fine characteristics. This is a great Jim Kirk episode. I'm just going to say that right now. It is. It is. Speaking of fine characteristics, Nurse Chapel <laughs> has applied for another fellowship. This is a three-month job, not a year like the other one, I think, was. How many fellowships do you apply to and get denied to before giving up the whole fellowship application process. I don't know. A second one makes sense to me. 
Her nuts have been smashed pretty hard. Yeah. But like that first Star Trek movie when when Spock gets into the Vulcan Academy, but he mm-hmm. also got into Starfleet Academy and he like he chooses his backup school because the admissions committee are such dickheads at, at the Vulcan Academy. Yeah. He cultivated multiple opportunities for himself, you know? Harvard was his safety. <laughs> What do you think of the statistics here? Only five are accepted out of thousands. Yeah. Don't like those odds. You know that Nurse Chapel kicks tons of ass, though. She does. She's uh, just super excited about this uh, archaeological medicine fellowship. Hey, Ortegas, maybe wait a fucking beat before bringing up Spock here. Like, the best (laughs) news the chapel has received in I don't know how long. And Ortegas is like, ooh, yeah. Spock's going to be Spocky about this. Yeah. Maybe there is hope for Tortegas after all. Oh. <laughs> that's a good read. A lady friend. Okay. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, Ortegas is playing some 3D chess that we're not picking up on. Forget those Vulcans and their science academy. They don't deserve you. Yeah. So, they are studying this fold. This fold can help them get subspace communications going three times faster than they currently go because of some special property of it. I loved the way they rendered this thing. It was like a very cool and unique effect for a, you know, an anomaly in space. I don't feel like we've seen something like this before in Star Trek. We've seen space buttholes before, but we've seen very few space butt cracks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And this one was very nicely rendered. It really was. Wow. They keep sending signals into it and seeing if other ships in the fleet pick up the signals. And nobody's picking up the signals. And Uhura's like, maybe music has sufficiently complex algorithmic properties as to work in a way that speech or whatever wouldn't. So what if we try that? Did you fully grasp this part of it? It really speeds by, and I watched it a couple of times, and I was like, all right, yeah. <laughs> well, you see, like, maybe there's some kind of superior race of entities that live inside the fold that have never encountered music before. Mm. Hmm. What is the purpose of this music? And they're so in the thrall of the idea of music that, uh, you know... They want to have it for themselves forever, despite what it might cost the ship. Right. I can see that now. So they send Anything Goes as the song that gets picked. And uh, Anything Goes triggers a ripple that travels through the ship. We get like a bunch of cuts seeing it go through hallways and people and elevators and stuff. This is why you want to get enthusiastic consent for Anything Goes, right? Because if you just assume Anything Goes is going to work, all of a sudden, you will get a shockwave is what will (laughs) happen. Yeah. Assuming Anything Goes is how you make an ass out of your own ass. (laughs) Or maybe somebody else's ass, you know? Because you've made an ass (laughs) out of your own ass. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, this ripple is like, you know, kind of like a banger. So Pike makes it up to the bridge and broadcasts down to engineering like, hey, duh fuck, what what just happened? And Spock starts singing. I'll get to the war core and assess its state when I'm able. 
Where's that music coming from? Very embarrassing that it's Spock that leads this off. I'm really glad that Spock doesn't look around like he's being puppeted into singing. Like, you know how there's probably a version of this where he's like, I don't know what my body's doing. And you're looking around, and your eyes are getting wide. And like a lot of these singing performances begin in a way that feel natural, specifically right. and usefully. Perplexity arrives, but it's never like I'm being forced to do this. It's just I'm trying to understand why I'm doing this. For me, it took too long and too many songs to know whether or not people were hearing the music, too. Yeah. Because there's a song later on where, where like, they notice the music first, and I'm like, oh, that's funny. Like, everyone's <laughs> hearing the music. But you don't know in this moment that they can. Yeah. I mean, I think that they mention it, but yeah, like, it goes by in passing. It is in the lyric, and mm -hmm. we're, like, cutting around the ship, you know, like, no injuries in Six Bay. There's... The regular on-the-ship check-ins that you would normally get, but in the form of song with yeah. the chorus being, what the hell is this? Why are we all singing, basically? Right, right. And the singing baton gets passed among many crew people, and the lyrics to this song are self-aware. They're singing about their tasks and how unusual it is that they're singing at all like the lyrics sort of tumble through the things that the characters are doing and also the surprise that they're feeling about singing at all and yeah. and back and forth and so on yeah so <laughs> we get to the end of this song it's a big photo finish to this song and we cut right to the theme which they redid with an acapella backing track rather than the orchestration which i really liked I love how willing new Star Trek is, and especially Strange New Worlds, is to kitbash their own theme. Yeah. Both visually and uh, in their audio. I think it's great. It's really good. So uh, when we come back, we're finding out that there have been musical outbreaks on every deck, and there's a McLaughlin group. Issue one. About why. Why are we singing? I believe the song created a resonant frequency and dislodged something from the full, a quantum uncertainty field. I love how soberly they treat this issue at the table here. <laughs> like including calling them musical outbreaks, like a medical condition would be <laughs> referred to. Yeah. I mean, like that's like a kind of mass hysteria, right? People bursting mm -hmm. into song. It's a thing that's happened for real. And we're already in deep fucking shit. But what they come up with is that there's... Because of the way this subspace fold works, they are like overlapping with a quantum reality in which the rules of musicals are the rules. Like the physics inside this reality are such that people burst into song all the time. And this is like, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's basically like in one quantum realm, everyone has hot dog fingers. In one quantum realm, you know, Michelle Yeoh is not space Hitler, but in fact a Hong Kong movie star. And in this reality, everybody sings like they're in an American musical theater performance. I think most eagle-eared Star Trek folks will recognize like the concept of quantum realities best from that Parallels episode, right? Right. The idea that there are many, many, many versions of the universe and many different types of Rikers inhabit every one of them, including <laughs> the bearded, scared of Borgs Riker that we got during the climax of that one, right? Yeah. So the concept has been used before, and one could postulate that maybe in parallels there was a musical version 
of the D in that universe too that popped in. Right. I mean, we didn't get to see that, but I think it would have sounded a little something. No, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That cast had contractual barriers up against something like this happening. I could go on all day. They're looking at this kind of visual representation of the ship flying along the fold and it being kind of unzipped by the wake of the ship. And they, they start to use the metaphor metaphor of a zipper to think about how to solve this problem. And uh, maybe they can create some kind of beam that can zip it back up, put, put all the junk back in the fly and, and close it. This is a dick joke reference, right? <laughs> this whole thing with yeah. the zipper. This is one of those times when the, when the writers are clearly communicating with us specifically, I think. I love how this problem invites suggestions at a solution and all of the possibilities are met with maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Like, people have ideas. No one knows if they're going to work. Most of these possibilities are almost understandable. And Kirk is like the proxy for all of us. He's like, good job explaining a very hard thing there, Spock. <laughs> I'm kind of sort of getting it here. Yeah. They're going to have to plug the Heisenberg compensator from the transporter into the deflector array, just like absolute like put this in my vein star trek techno babble yeah and uh, everybody's gonna have to team up on some different units to work on different parts of the problem so they split up where back on the bridge spock and uhura work at her station yeah and uhura needs to get one of those privacy screens (laughs) there because spock is able to see the chaplication message from before and it gets him all in his head yeah. about what it might say and what it might mean. And Uhura doesn't look at personal correspondences, obviously. Of course, that would be unethical. Uhura's a class act, but she has sort of picked up on some energy between Spock and Chapel and asks him about their situationship. And Spock admits that something is going on between them. Our quantum cat... And the, like, discomfort that that is causing professionally. She's a little less than a wife and a little more than a friend. <laughs> well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? Now you remember that, you hear? Elsewhere on the long ladder, Kirk and Una work and discuss the styles of command that you can have when you're a a manager and a subordinate. And this causes Una to break into song and this time dance. Yeah. The rhyming turns into music and JT Kirk learns some valuable insights from her about first officership. But uh, off uh, down the hallway, La'an is looking on and getting kind of jealous, I would say. She's peeping. La'an is. Yeah. Somebody should ask her how that's going. That's <laughs> a peeping. This is one of the last things you want to see if you're peeping. Bunch of song and dance. Yeah. Because you know what happens is uh, it can cascade into your own life. And that's what 
does happen to La'an. It turns out she now breaks into her own song. It's a solo number where she goes off to her quarters and uh, stares out the bum out window and resolves to sort of change her approach to interpersonal relationships because, you know, keeping the walls up, keeping the shields up and the phasers armed at all times thing is clearly not really working for her. And that's the sauce of all of these songs, right? The song and dance that Kirk and Una do, that song has a point, and that point is connecting to your crew is important. Don't be a standoffish manager. Right. And La'an's song is also of a similar nature. Like, the standoffishness that she feels inside of her is something that could change in order to make her create better relationships with the people that she likes, up to and including romantic interests. And this song that she's got has like a fantasy cutaway yeah, to a bedroom scene with Kirk and the soft light under bed sheets like it's a Michael Bay <laughs> Pearl Harbor scene. I was going to say, it, it really has like sex scene from a 90s movie in which you don't see boobs kind of energy to it. Yeah, all that's missing is the hood of a car. <laughs> she kept that watch, by the way, from the uh, episode where she traveled to Toronto of the past. How much do you want that case? Oh, that she man. keeps the watch inside. So cool. They got to sell that, right? God, that's a great case. We cut over to a turbo lift with Laan and Pike inside. And Laan is still a professional. She's got great concerns about what these songs are doing to people. Because yeah. what they're doing to people is forcing them to confide highly personal emotional information which I think constitutes even confidential stuff. Yeah, these are truth bombs that could blow up the damn ship. Yeah. No! Pike doesn't exactly take this seriously, or if he does, he tries to make it a everything's going to be fine because I've got Spock and Uhura on this. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, he's he's got confident manager energy. We've talked a lot about how this season has pointed the camera away from Pike, kind of a surprising amount given how much it seems like this series kind of got to go based on the strength of Anson Mount's performance as Pike in Star Trek Discovery. And Mm -hmm. um, the amount to which this episode doesn't spend much time with Pike thinking about, like, how do I be a captain of a ship where people are constantly breaking out into a song did kind of frustrate me. Like, I think that his concerns from a command standpoint, would be pretty significant (laughs) in this situation. And the episode really, like, doesn't bother itself with that too much at all. It seems like a type of denial in personality that he has. Yeah. I was shocked that uh, Sam and JT Kirk didn't have their own number with each other when they're Mm -hmm. doing the Heisenberg compensator scene. Yeah. Like... I don't really know why a first officer and an archaeologist or whatever Sam is are the people like digging in the guts of the transporter to begin with. Right. (laughs) I was like, okay, like this doesn't make any sense, but clearly they just needed to get these two characters together because two brothers would have like an interesting song to sing at each other, you know? Like this is a duet that's like charged with tons of emotion, but we don't get that duet. It's a technique I'm really curious about in musicals in general. Like, what is song worthy and what is not when it comes to the plot? 
And I wonder how many songs they had written that just hit the cutting room floor because they had to expedite story in a different way. Yeah, this is a long episode. It seems like they probably had to make some tricky choices in making it even close to a normal episode of television in length. Right. So the plan on the table is shooting things out of the deflector dish at this fold. And uh, the camera pushes in on Pike as he says fire. And the blurps from the computer afterwards suggest that this plan did not work. Yeah, the zipper beam could not contain that which was tumbling out of the (laughs) subspace fold. Yeah. To underline and put a exclamation point on this, Pike gets in a musical girlfriend fight on the view screen in front of everyone. I blame Pike for this. You can't get on the FaceTime with Patel here. You just can't. Yeah. This is hubris. Yeah. Sheer fucking hubris. Marie, I'm going to call you back. Oh, no, no, you don't. I mean, Laon warned him. Yeah. Not a great time. What time is a great time to talk about vacation plans? (laughs) All I know is that if it's Patel, you got to take that call in the ready room, right? Right, because like... I mean, like, I know that, like, they live in a moneyless future, so everybody can probably go on the same fanciness of vacation. But when you're, like, Uh the boss's boss's boss, putting your vacation deets in front of your entire staff is probably not great for, like, esprit de corps. Yeah. I have a – there's probably a medical term for this. I can't take a public call in front of people. Like, I got to walk that shit out of the room, and I've always felt that way. Yeah. The idea that Pike would take this call in front of his crew makes my skin crawl. (laughs) This is the scariest moment in the entire season for me. This episode might be the one where we turn on Pike. (laughs) 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 The zipper beam kind of had the opposite effect of what they wanted. What was a local embarrassing phenomenon has now started to promulgate out through subspace, and it's spreading across the entire fleet. We get a McLaughlin group issue two, where we find out that there are even off-camera musical numbers happening. Admiral April sang to Una. Surprisingly beautiful baritone. Yeah. Twelve ships affected. Yeah. Twelve Federation ships, I should say. Yeah, and it seems to be spreading. So Ura's theory is that this quantum reality follows the rules of Broadway, so they need to figure out, like, how those rules work. And, uh... And Pike is, like, done at this point. I think he is so deep in his feelings that he's like, can we just kill it with fire? Like, what about torpedoes, man? I think we should blow it up. Fucking A. Blow up the damn ship! No! <laughs> Janeway would have blown up her own ship by now. Yeah. She would have mimicked the yin-yang twins in how she would have done it. <laughs> hey, computer, let me whisper in your ear. Self-destruct sequence you like to hear. Got a sexy ass body and your ass looks soft. I want to blow you up just to see if it's soft. (laughs) (laughs) Something crucial happens in this scene because what we need here are more rules to what's going on. It's not just people breaking out in the song and that's unfortunate and embarrassing. There are rules of musicals happening here, specifically that this is happening to people with a need to express what's on their mind when previously, like, their rational mind 
would clamp down and prevent it, right? Right. This isn't just a spontaneous random thing that's happening to specific people with these desires. So they got to figure that out and they got to figure out if Pike's torpedo idea will work because there's some aspect of torpedoes that work in subspace. And so they're going to beam some particles from the field on board the ship to test that on a smaller scale. And Laon and JT Kirk get teamed up to do this particle capture. And that's a problem for Laon. Because Laon's been thinking about torpedo problems of her own. Yeah, and uh, some folds that aren't necessarily just in subspace. Right. She can't quite confess why this is a problem to Una. Yeah, because we cut into an after the McLaughlin group scene where Una's like, what's up, bud? You don't normally turn down assignments. Yeah. And what's neat about this scene is that the ever-present risk of breaking out into song is so apparent here that both of them try to speak so economically. They try not to conjure this thing that yeah. they feel like could happen at any moment. And I sort of feel like the logic of this scene is that Una sees that La'an is worried that the song will cause her to say something that she is for security reasons, reticent to say, and she sort of throws herself on the song grenade. Yeah, yeah, she does. And it absolutely blows her apart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so fucked up. Oh my God. She turns the gravity off and she blows big. Yeah, her song is about dropping that learned secretiveness. And this is Mm -hmm. something that these two characters have connected about in the past. They both have grown up and uh, become adults with a sense of caginess for different reasons, but reasons that have some, you know, points of important crossover and like dropping those barriers, becoming more vulnerable and more open to the vulnerabilities of others has been a positive experience for Una, but it's not quite the same for Lon, right? Like she has directives from like the temporal cops not like not to be vulnerable about this particular thing right you could argue really sensibly that the stakes are higher for laan than they ever were for una yeah and i think that that's sort of an intentional tension in the scene like that if laan were to refute any of this she risks starting to spill the beans and so she can't right yeah I think that, like, for that reason, this might be my favorite scene in the episode, just because that tension was so, like, rich and thick, and the subtext was so strained. You could see that this was, like, a meaningful moment for Una, and, like, a super frustrating moment for La'an. I should just tell him that's a responsible thing to do. I like how we cut right into the transporter room with La'an and Kirk after this scene. Yeah. We aren't with Spock and Uhura next, where we've talked about a thing that's about to happen, and now we're seeing the thing happen when La'an and Kirk are working together. And this is the second time in the episode where Kirk is a total bro about noticing an annoying thing he's done in the workplace, recognizing it, and walking it back. Like, before it was interrupting an idea and having the same one and then making sure she got the credit for it, but this time he recognizes, like, he's been kind of freelancing about doing things without being ordered to first, And the way he does this is not showy. It's not, ouch, my balls. (laughs) It's just like, 
hey, I'm working on things here. Thanks for your grace. I noticed I like overran the bounds because of some privilege and I apologize for that. I'll try to do better. There's something like so obviously charismatic about Kirk, especially with the Paul Wesley performance of him, that you could assume that in many scenes that we don't get to experience, he's doing whatever he wants, (laughs) saying whatever he wants and taking credit for everything in the process. Yeah. It is nice to see that he can be just as charismatic, just as cool, just as swarthy and flirtatious, while also being self-aware enough to recognize when he's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. And not make it her problem when he does, you know? I just think that this is like a very interesting line he's writing. Yeah, really fun writing for this character and... You know, I think one of the things I love about Star Trek is like seeing aspirational representations about how to behave. And Mm -hmm. I think as dudes, especially, we can take notes on this. Like this is something that uh, the modern man should aspire to is like, uh, you know, own your mistakes in a way that actually owns them. Well, I, I just think generally like a lot of the ugly pushback against having any sort of empathy for anyone else is like, the showy martyrdom of it yeah. where you don't have to have that. Right. And that's what Kirk is like here that I think is so good and aspirational is like, it doesn't have to be showy. It doesn't have to be martyrdom. Yeah. It can just be like a humble part of your personality. Yeah. And he's humble here while still having a huge ego. Like that's the, that's the tension. (laughs) He's humble as fuck. I also feel like just the blocking of the scene where La'an has to like lean over into his personal space and probably get a, like a big whiff of pheromones off of him. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very funny. God, you know he probably smells so good. Oh, man. She probably does too. Yeah. Probably something in that hair. Probably a great smelling room, huh? Yeah. Holy mackerel. So they succeed in beaming these subspace particles aboard and they get them down to engineering because this is star trek and uh they yeah and they have to put the most dangerous thing near the warp core and she's about to drop a truth bomb on kirk but it gets interrupted by another banger yeah turns out plan b is bad <laughs> we need a plan c i mean in some cases it's necessary <laughs> but bad moment here yeah And over on the bridge, we see on the view screen an image that supports the awful truth. Firing on the fold would destroy everything. Yeah. How much of everything? All of the Federation and half of the Klingons? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Speaking of the Klingons, they are inbound and feeling distinctly dishonored by the breaking into song that has also been happening aboard their ships. Yeah, their intention is to fire on the fold, which is terrible news to anyone who knows what would happen as a result. Yeah, they have uh, taken a shoot-first strategy about this, and so they're going to do exactly what Plan B was going to be before the Enterprise crew realized that Plan B would be a catastrophe. I'm rhyming, see? I didn't even see it coming, actually. Whoa! (laughs) Woo! The Klingons have that energy of someone who tags along with some friends at the karaoke bar, gets nominated for a song, 
and does not want to sing. Yeah. Under any circumstances. We have located the abominable source of our dishonor. Oh, man. (laughs) I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. 
It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trek. The clock is now ticking. Uhura and Spock are walking around talking about they need to find whatever the pattern is to figure out how to break this field's hold on them. She knows how to trigger the kind of overwhelming emotion that causes one to break out into song, and that is to put Spock in a room with Chapel. So they find the bar where, uh, despite the like inbound threat of the Klingons, a bunch of people are just like hanging out, having drinks, and celebrating Chapel's recent admission to this fellowship program. You want to talk about aspirational Star Trek behavior? There they sit. <laughs> Dangerous moments sometimes could use a little uh, champagne clinky. Yeah. That's what's happening here. It's important to celebrate your successes, even in the worst of times. I have a confession about a, a thing I feel like I've overlooked up until now, which is that I thought that this bar and the lunchroom with the like big soaring windows were the same room. And I think I've been talking about them on the show as though they're the same room. And they're not. This room What? Yeah. Like this room doesn't have windows. Oh, I thought they were the same. They were just different parts of it. There's so many bars on this ship. I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah. No, I mean, it's great. There should be. Yeah. They're in a pre-holodeck era, right? So they don't have the luxury of having the holodeck always on set to Earth 10 forward in the case of the ship facing imminent destruction. Yeah. <laughs> I'd want to have a drink in my hand. Yeah. If I were on a ship facing that. Hey, what'd you read on this scene? So- Spock and Uhura are talking about the triggers for these songs being sung. And it would appear to me as though when Spock goes up to chapel and goes right in there and asks why she doesn't tell him about the accepted application, this would seem to be him trying to make that happen, right? It does. Proving the hypothesis. Right. Yeah, why didn't you invite me to your birthday party? I thought we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. I am just curious. Then Chapel starts busting out her song about her complicated feelings. And those feelings are about getting what she's always wanted, but this is going to mean sacrificing something else. It's a pretty mean song based on the inquiry that sort of 
inspired it, I thought. And doing it at Spock in the room, yeah. especially. Like it really runs roughshod over his feelings. Especially because it doesn't seem like her feelings are that complicated in the song. She's made her decision. She's ready to leave <laughs> Spock in order to do the fellowship. Yeah. The theme of the song is, this is great for me. <laughs> Spock's like, it would have been cool if there were a lyric about how great I am in there at some point. <laughs> I didn't notice that that part at all. Yeah. No, nothing positive about me. There wasn't a verse about but Spock. Yeah. So anyways, uh, we cut back to JT Kirk with La'an, where she finally figures out a way to kind of confess the I know of a different quantum version of you thing, which I guess like it makes sense that it would happen in the midst of a Star Trek quandary like the one that they're facing. Yeah. But this is La'an like seizing control of the emotional machine, right? right? Yeah. Like to be forced into a song would mean losing that agency. Like she wants to be able to articulate this in her way. And that's why I think that's really crucial, right? Like they both recognize that she's breaking a pretty big rule in doing this, but I think she's sort of resigned herself to knowing that the rule would be broken anyway. And if she can get out in front of it verbally and not through song, it's going to be better for everyone. Yeah. I wonder if the stammering is intentional for that reason. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. There's uh, a couple of things about this moment that I really liked. One, that it's a single shot on La'an for her part of the conversation. Yeah. And I thought it was beautiful. That slow push on her is great. But the detail about this push is the thing I wanted to bring up to you because this is a... Like, by the time it ends, it's like the dirty single. Right. But when you look at Kirk's shoulder and his chin, because of the disparity in height between Christina Chung and Paul Wesley, did you notice this? Like, Paul Wesley has to look straight ahead and look down at her with his eyes in order to make the composition work with uh, his chin and his jaw. Oh, wow. I think if two real people were having a real conversation, he'd be like his head would be down. He'd be looking at her with his face instead of just his eyes. Right. I think that's a subtle thing that you often miss in TV and movies, just how unnaturally a person needs to stand during a conversation in order to make that effect, right? Right, to balance and compose the shot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great observation by you. I mean, I think that the other thing that's going on here that's just happening in dialogue that's really interesting is her kind of unpacking and realizing that part of what she liked about that Kirk was that he didn't know the ramifications of her last name. And so she kind of got to see herself in a new way that she'd never seen herself before. Yeah. So there was like the actual affection between them, but also this other thing that really wasn't about Kirk at all. Yeah. And so like, you know, she's like, yeah, like I still like the way you look at me and I'm, I hope you like the way I look at you. But like there's a component of, of that relationship that like can't really exist in this reality. And he's like, yeah, well, there's another component that you may want to be aware of. I just recently set my relationship status back to it's complicated with Carol Marcus. You'd really like her. She uh, sometimes appears in a full body shot wearing only her underwear for no reason. And also, she's pregnant. Can I call? 
cook or can't I? This is the third moment in the episode where Kirk is so not bullshit in the way he describes a situation or a relationship or a moment. Like, he doesn't do that mealy mouth thing like, oh, it feels so good to hear that from you and I'm really attracted to you too. And gosh, I really wish we could make it work. Like, he's a fucking adult and so is she. And the way he describes his relationship with Carol is so good and not larded up yeah. with the bullshit that I think you'd get in real life. I, It really made me, a. this is a great Kirk episode and it made me admire him a lot for this moment. And it also made me wonder, how complicated is the issue of pregnancy between couples in this century? Like <laughs> if transporters can beam the pee and the poop out of people. <laughs> It would seem as though the ropes could go too. Wow. <laughs> if you wanted them to. <laughs> How does it work? Yeah. Man. That's like the unintended subtext to this because in a future like this where a pregnancy would seem to be utterly planned and able to be either had or not based on a person's choices this would seem to be their choice to do. Yeah. At least it's Carol Marcus's choice. I mean, right. <laughs> the choices Kirk is making don't seem to be centered around like dropping everything so that he can go like build a life with her. So that's one aspect of the thing that he's saying is like, he leads with the pick it up, set it down nature of the relationship with Carol. And that does not seem to be a thing that will change going forward. Right. And I think we know from movies <laughs> yeah. that that is the case. You had your world, and I had mine. We cut down to engineering where Spock and Uhura have a big scene. You know, they're scanning the data that she gathered when... Nurse Chapel broke into song in the bar and they don't see a pattern in this data. And Spock is also feeling not great about the way Nurse Chapel did him in that scene and has kind of a, a bum out jam where, you know, he's like walking around talking about how he's to blame for all of it anyways. Uh, you know, he um, opened up his heart and uh, now she's ripping it out and all that stuff. I really like all the songs in this episode having like a specific motivated quality about the singer and what they're grappling with as a challenge. Right. This is one song in the episode that I wished had a different core to it because for Spock to be so hurt by becoming the ex, it doesn't seem to be the most hurtful thing about this outcome. To me... The greatest pain is Spock stepping out onto his own emotional ledge and making himself vulnerable to a person, having it work briefly, and that not being a thing that he can experience anymore. And that's not really a part of this song. It's about more about reputation and the label of being an ex right. in a way that I felt like a little disappointed by. Like These songs are a way to get to know someone's 
innermost feelings. Yeah. And this one was very superficial for Spock. I thought the music in this song was great. I love the melody that he sings, and I th- I thought his performance was really good. And I, but I agree that like the content of the lyrics was like probably the weakest of the bunch. How much like Michael Hutchins does Ethan Peck sound in parts of this song? He's got that like that real Hutchins register going for him. Sounded good. Hold on, I just got to Google Michael Hutchins. You got this. Oh yeah, Michael Hutchins, the co-founder and lead singer of NXS. Precisely. I'm very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you describe this, but like I'm doing a hand thing to the friends of DeSoto watching the feed, but like where the lyrics exist and then there's the punctuated word that yeah. is like of a way lower register. He'll go down deep for a bassy word, yeah. Is that a Vulcan vocalization thing, or is that just a fun songwriting flourish in musicals? I haven't heard enough Vulcan music to uh, to answer that question, but uh, yeah. I like the song. Yeah. I think, um, in contrast, Ohura's sort of pattern recognition jam I thought was really good. It's mm-hmm. It sort of starts as like her origin story recap, but kind of turns triumphant in the end as she kind of figures something out about like her nature as like a hub of relationships yeah and i also think they did a good job in sequencing where celia's songs would be in the greater episode because like she's so good at this and so experienced at this like if you have her up top with her big number, I think she unfortunately could blow the rest of the cast away in a way you maybe don't want to have done. Yeah. So they have another McLaughlin group. Issue three. Where she explains to Pike and like Spock walks in mid meeting to back this up that they can shatter the field that has gripped them if the songs aren't all about like bummers and breakups and if, <laughs> if they can get everybody like on the same page doing a big final number type of song you know like maybe if it's a song about getting back together or maybe choosing a relationship over a career path i think that could be an angle that could work here you know i've noticed that like basically everybody that works on the bridge is like staggeringly attractive so maybe if it was like about us all kind of getting together Uh, That would be something. I don't know. (laughs) No bad ideas at this point. (laughs) So Pike orders Uhura to inspire the entire ship to sing. I'd blow myself out an airlock if I were given that order. (laughs) Like, it could not be done. (laughs) We get like a stirring captain speech that instead of being about getting everybody ready to go into some kind of dangerous situation is about Pike tossing a mic to Ensign Uhura. This is the captain. Hi, everyone. Who has to kind of introduce herself to the ship. Like she has an important role on the bridge, but isn't necessarily somebody everybody on the ship would know by name. So she uh, starts by introducing herself and... They start singing, and this is like a big musical number about uh, you know the importance of working together and Star Trek values and shit. And the spike keeps growing. Like there's like a number that they have to hit. What is it, three forty one or something like that? 
I didn't write it oh, down. Oh, I thought it was in the 400s. Oh, yeah. They really had to get that number up there. You must have measured from the base of the curve, though. You have to, yeah. We even get a little bit of Klingon singing in there, and the Klingons really have like a specifically Hamilton style about the way they they do their musical numbers. I think if there's one moment in the episode that's the most divisive, it's this one. This moment with the Klingons. Because it's a little bit rappier. I think it's more auto-tuned than the others. Yeah. And the dancing is more high wire. And because it's the Klingons, it seems more unusual. Yeah. I mean, it's like these guys have never heard Melota, I'll say. Yeah. I wanted it to be a little bit more operatic, personally. Right. Yeah. I, it seems weird to say, but like, I wish it sounded worse. You know, like I wish yeah. the best the Klingons could do musically was like, ooh, okay. Like now I know why they don't sing anything but uh, opera songs and bar songs, right. drinking blood wine, you know? I mean, it's very silly and it's like just a view screen gag. Like we don't go over yeah. to the Klingon ship or anything. It's probably the most lower dexy moment of the episode. For sure. But yeah, they, they hit that limit and it like turns the musical theater field into a big like firework style particle system and everything dissipates and we get a little dab of the original alexander courage tos theme while everybody kind of like does their like panting in their (laughs) in their tableau at the end of the big number and then like going around hugging each other and slapping each other on the back but not spock and chapel like notably they don't share in the celebration with each other. I was really surprised that they didn't get anything in the Daniel Rome portion of the episode beyond this. I thought so too, yeah. It's just looks between them in this moment. Yeah. Instead, we go to a catch-up between La'an and Una talking about La'an taking chances with J.T. Kirk. And La'an feeling satisfied with having taken that shot, Right, right. It didn't turn out exactly the way she might have hoped, but, like, it's better to be resolved about it than not. And the, like, exercise of being vulnerable and open with him and having it not be a life-threatening event has been overall good for her. Do you think the main takeaway of this is that, like, it was hard and it hurt, but it's easier to take chances after taking a big chance? Like, I kind of got that that was the sense baked into this. Like, maybe... She's changed for it and changed for the better. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Speaking of relationships that are changing, uh, we go to Pike's quarters where he and Captain Battelle are talking. And uh, she's pretty hurt about him singing a song about how he lies to her sometimes. (laughs) But uh, it's a good opening for a conversation that they need to have about the kinds of vacations they pick together as a couple and maybe coming up with compromises. The good and bad news is that she has been tasked with a priority one mission that uh, is tantalizingly vague. Yeah. So they're going to have a little extra time to figure out a good vacation that both of them will enjoy. One thing not vague at all, Captain Patel's forgiveness dimple on full display here. (laughs) Pike's going to be all right when he sees that thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's okay, Pike. 
Ben, you're the only person in the universe I could possibly ask this question and get a correct answer. How do you pronounce the Julia Child recipe that Pike is making here? I've never been able to say it. Oh, I, uh, beef bourguignon. 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 Boeuf denouement. You just named our show. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> the button on the episode is a little uh, little parable about why you should not whistle while you work. Hmm. Yeah. Nyota Uhura singing a little song to herself while she uh, does something over the comm station. Gets everybody worried. Did we actually escape the rift? Turns out she was just singing. Yeah, that's all. Just innocent, non-threatening singing. (laughs) You can never sing again on this ship after this episode, right? I don't see how you could. Yep. Headphones only. Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, like the apprehension I had before watching it was not met with what I was afraid of. Mm -hmm. You know? It was, as anything else is in Strange New Worlds, the best version of what it is. But this is an episode that really flies close to the sun that goes like, here's a thing that I really want to write. How do I fit these characters that I'm here to write for into it? Right. In a kind of (laughs) writing vanity that I kind of reflexively... I won't say dislike. I will just say that I'm way more for like these characters have a story within them. And my job as a writer is to tell that story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so whenever episodes like veer too close into the first version of that, I'm like, oh, man, when episodes of Star Trek Discovery didn't work for me, that was my feeling like I'm seeing the writer's hand here. Totally. And this is a genre that is the writer's hand. Yeah. So, yes, the quality of this episode is so evident. The quality of the performances, the risk of this is so high. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is a great episode objectively. Subjectively, though, I'm like, I'm still a guy that just goes sees Book of Mormon and Hamilton. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a musical theater guy. Yeah. And there's something also just terrifying about musicals in general, like that the off-book podcast really made me feel like there is a fucking format to this that people in musical theater understand and know and it is scary as hell for me to think of participating in a way that everyone here did and i respect it because it seems very hard to do it really does yeah like highest marks for setting a very high bar and clearing it on an episode Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm But yeah, I feel the same. Like this isn't going to be like a a fave of mine that I return to all the time. And it's going to be some people's favorite episode ever. Yeah. And like, like we're not here to yuck their yum. Like that's totally super valid. And like, it's honestly shocking that Star Trek hasn't done this before. Like Star Trek is a show that embraces its corniness in, you know, across the franchise and a classic corny show thing to do is have the musical episode. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, this isn't to my taste, but I will defend with my life the right of this show to have 
the musical episode. Absolutely agree. Very glad it exists. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also glad that the Friends of DeSoto exist and that they send priority one messages to us and each other. You want to see what's in the inbox today, Adam? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, I will not be singing our first priority one message. It is from Simon. It is to Ben and Adam. The message goes like this. Hey, guys, you read out my warning, boy, UK iTunes review, and I almost choked on my Ratcagino. <laughs> I subscribe on all devices everywhere, have been listening since the Ars Technica days, and you've kept me sane ever since. And there's no one in my life to chat Trek shit with. Time to send some scarves. <laughs> Tickets booked for London. See you then. Yeah. And then there's a Chris Brenner drop. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Simon. Yeah. Bit on the nose that a listener from the UK is named Simon, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good call. Thank you for getting a P1. Thanks for uh, leaving a nice review. I mean, you, your cup of Rectagino runneth over. I know. Far too nice, Simon. Hey, thanks for also buying a ticket to that London show. Yeah. Ben, that London show, almost sold out. No oh, bullshit. Shit. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm terrified, but I'm also excited. Yeah, it'll be fine. Adam, our next P1 here is from Captain Liz Soto and the Liztocrats. And it's to the Dith and all her dithidents. goes like this. Captain Jellico has commandeered my ship and is demanding that you join me and the other Listocrats in the Pranica Cabana at Star Trek Las Vegas 2024. Otherwise, we shall all suffer the dreaded four-shift rotation. What do you say? Do we give in or do we fight with hoofs? Wow, Captain Lizotto managed to sneak this one in just under the wire just before Star Trek Las... Not just before, during Star Trek Las Vegas. This episode's coming out on the Friday of Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah, so... But my question is, is Captain Lizotto going to be in the Pranica Cabana this year... And is trying to get the Dith to come next year? Oh, 2024. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what if the Pranica Cabana is a disaster this year? That's what I was just going to say, Ben. There's a chance every year that that <laughs> Pranica Cabanica could be the last one. It, it, For Miriam reasons. <laughs> Not least of which is the hotel, like, accidentally falling over during. Yeah. <laughs> the Rio Hotel falling over and crushing the cabana. Very real possibility. Yeah. Also, the bar tab being too damn high. The bar tab is too damn high. <laughs> wow. Well, I hope we live to see another Pranica Cabanica. You and me both, pal. After this year's. Best behavior out there this year. Fingers crossed that the Dith and uh, Captain Liz Soto make it to the 2024 one. Yeah. If you'd like to uh, harass someone into attending a pool party that they may or may not have already planned on going to, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and get yourself a Priority One message for the show today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? 
did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm gonna give it to uh, I'm gonna give it to the doctor. Come on. That was fun. Yeah. Fun that they worked him in the way that they did. Fun that uh, he he got to kind of excuse himself out of having anything major to do in this episode. I, you know, I'm, I miss an episode where he's a bigger part of the thing. When they push him all the way to the background, I miss him, you know? But, uh, yeah. but I thought it was a funny way to push him to the background this episode. Dr. Mbanga really, in terms of value per word... All-time high on Star Trek. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, doesn't have a lot to say, but holy moly, every time. Every episode, he gets some fucking hilarious line, too. Yeah, yeah, great job. Ben, my Edward Larkin's going to be Spock, because during the finale, the big final number, there's that moment where the entire cast has a lyric about missing singing when it's over. <laughs> Except for Spock, <laughs> who, if you listen carefully, is the only cast member to say he won't miss singing in that lyric that contradicts everyone else's. Oh, that's fun. In the big finale. And I really love that moment from him. So he's my Edward Larkin for that. He only likes singing about bitter drinks, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well, this has been a ton of fun, Adam. We just got the Warning Boss segment and then we're out of here, right? That's right, Ben. Let's do it. Warning Bois, an important part of every episode of Greatest Trek. They're how we tell a potential new viewer, hey, come on in to the cabana of new Star Trek. Or if you're out by the pool, like power drinking, playing your music really loud in a public area. Uh, what are the other bad pool behaviors that we don't want mm. around? Peeing in the pool. You can pee in the pool. Fine. <laughs> oh, did you say pee in the pool? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said be in the pool. Oh, man. I, I, I was like, I am shocked that Adam went off on a rant about people reclining their seats on airplanes at the beginning of this episode and is now going to endorse peeing in a pool. I didn't hear you. <laughs> I didn't hear you correctly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah. All right. So those guys, no. Everyone else, yes. <laughs> That's the point of the warning buoy. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Ben, I'm pulling one from Apple Podcasts, one of the uh, most useful ways to help us algorithmically. Yeah, dollars to donuts, probably the most helpful, right? This five-star review begins best Star Trek podcast, hands down. Wow. It's from Lindsay B 311 the review goes like this. I adore Star Trek and can never get enough of fan content and conversation about it. Now that I've found Greatest Trek, I can bask in the glory of Star Trek nearly all the time. It's glorious. <laughs> I am equally excited for new episodes of this podcast as I am the Star Trek content it references. Adam and Ben, you bring me so much joy and irreverent hilarity in all of your podcasts. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Lindsay. That is, man, I needed a nice, a nice thing like that today. Yeah, you know what? That's a bois that, that lifts us up, yeah, too. No kidding. Feels nice. Hey, Lindsay, you're invited to the Pranica Cabanica. <laughs> yeah, that's official. Just as all cool people are. Mm-hmm. All non-pool peers. <laughs> you know, the only pool peer in that cabana is Adam, you know? God, this is going to be the, the Pizzagate 
thing all over again, isn't it? <laughs> uh, with that, we got to throw this to our intrepid producer editor, Wendy Pretty, who has another tight turn on this episode, and we recorded a really long one for her. So we have to apologize to Wendy and thank all of you for uh, being such loyal friends of DeSoto. Can't wait to hear her singing voice during the credits here. <laughs> yeah. How about new? Take it away, Wendy. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week, we'll be back with a review of the season two finale of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's called Hegemony. All of the original music for this show was composed by Adam Ragusea. He has a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that you can find by searching Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Ditmore for creating the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the At Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, threads, Twitter, Mastodon, so many places now. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. There are also great communities run by Friends of DeSoto on Discord at DrunkShimoda.com and on Reddit and Facebook too. But it's MaxFun members who make the podcast possible with their monthly support at MaximumFun.org join. When you become a member, you get access to all of the network's bonus content, and we really appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.